Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays for the weekly update at JM and Mr. Honline, Shana Tova, Gmar Chasimatova, and welcome back to JM and the AM. Thank you on all counts, and Gmar Chasimatova to everyone, and let's hope it'll be a much better year and a healthier year for everyone. Well, has the year gotten off to a good start? I'd have to check. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it depends on the I mean, got off to an interesting start. But, yeah, there's some good news. The, the elections in Morocco threw out the uh, Islamist party and uh, relegated them for, to almost uh, uh, almost eliminating them completely from the parliament. And you have to credit the king. This is, um, it was handled very brilliantly from the time when they won a majority of the, of the parliament not so long ago to virtually eradicating them as a, as a political issue. Uh, we saw a couple of countries, New Zealand and Cyprus, Italy, uh, uh, all of them, I think uh, Croatia, announcing that they will not participate in the uh, upcoming Durban 4 conference, which and, and because of the... Um, anti-Semitic overtones and presence and past history of uh, the Durban conferences, the original and the subsequent ones. So, yes, there are some good things that have, uh, that have happened. There are also some challenging things that have happened. Why is it that a country like Morocco and others that we've seen, especially in recent history, are able to take a hard line and a stand against radical extremists and other governments uh, simply, you know, f- fold, you know, within minutes. Why is it that they're strong enough uh, to uh, combat uh, those who are uh, ready to take over and completely turn a a, uh, a functioning government into a corrupt government? I credit the king, uh, King Mohammed VI, with uh, a lot of this. He he's kept uh, the country on a moderate um, uh, path, especially, you know, signing up to the... Um, to the fully to the Abraham Accords, opening an embassy, having the foreign minister of Israel visit uh, daily flights now between the countries, uh, many other things. But he had a deliberate plan, and when the Islamists uh, won, he said, "You want to here, here are the keys. You you run, knowing that they weren't going to be able to do it, but also retaining real control over the critical issues and." Uh, I think it's it's the vision. He has real challenges from uh, Algeria lately, trying to heighten the tensions, uh, the Western Sahara decisions, the um, both the internal and external dangers that all the countries, uh, many of the countries in the region face. But you know, if the West shows support for them. That's all they want is to, is to get that nod of support, uh, and they're ready to do courageous things. As are some of the other uh, countries. We see, saw conferences and events uh, over the weeks. You know, with the uh, not only formal presence of of officials from the UAE from other countries in Israel, uh, but planning and, and working towards the the future. It's it's a question of leadership often and. Trying to, and and taking seriously the threat and acting against it early and not waiting until you have to catch up to to deal with it. But there have been eras, um, uh, especially if you go back five ten years, there have been eras where it looked like, or at least the West was projecting some type of, or was predicting some type of environment where so many countries that you know were led by corrupt regimes that were led by radicals and fundamentalists 
you know, would be undergoing great change. And that, and if, and if you look at the list of countries that were, if you look at the countries that were on that list, I don't think that ever happened. Uh, especially when you think about the Arab Spring, et cetera. And if I'm wrong, you could tell me. Uh, and I'm, I'm just wondering why you never see success among those lists of countries. You never see them able to withstand the fundamentalists and radicals and, and, and run a, a non-corrupt, uh, a, a country to the benefit of its citizens. And it's just funny to see that, you know, some of them have either the power or the, uh, or the brilliance to be able to pull it off. Well, first of all, there are long historical roots. There are many issues when you take the countries of the Central Asia, the Muslim countries there, Azerbaijan, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, even though many of them have uh, what you would call very limited democracies um, uh, with the you know, leadership, the controlled uh, leadership. But the fact is that they have 2,000 years of history of tolerance. You have uh, uncertainty towards the Jews. You have... Uh, uh, forces at play, though, that would seek to radicalize them, many of them coming out of Turkey, out of Iran, out of other uh, countries. With the UAE uh, stand that has been pretty consistent uh, during this period. So there are examples of both. We should learn from those examples. But the real key that we learn and why the withdrawal from Afghanistan looms large, why our, uh, our, the perception of the West and the United States in particular, if we are lessening our commitment to the region, how that is read and the perceptions that that creates. And when they think that they're alone, now you're seeing some of the changes that are taking place uh, here, Turkey renewing relations with the UAE, with Egypt, with others working on it um, because they're taking advantage of this this feeling. It benefits Israel as well, but they they look at it. They feel that they're you know being um, abandoned or or their interests are, are endangered. Then they look for sources of support. Russia is trying to fill the void uh, as well in countries and and building ties, and others take advantage. Uh, Iran quadrupling its stocks of enriched uranium, and I'm sure we'll talk about it, but and all the other steps it has, uh, enriching it at, at uh, 60% and, and with a stockpile that's far larger than what was allowed, they take advantage of the of the void, and they probe all the time, even when, when we're not moving away from a region. These, they probe, and when they find weakness, they exploit it. China exploits every opportunity. It's not in the interest of the people, countries they deal with. It is for their own interests, where they're building the Belt and Road and expanding their their outreach for energy, oil, and from any source, but also quietly expanding their sphere of influence as well. So it's it, there's a multiple layered dynamic to relationships, especially in an area as complex as the Middle East and the larger region and in Israel and with Israel it's uh, I mean it's so heartwarming to see you with this visit to Russia and I think you'd say the same thing about the um, high-level visit to the United States all they keep saying is if there's trouble anywhere Syria Iran etc we will take care of it ourselves because the less they de- demonstrate the need for reliance on other countries the the stronger they are perceived and in reality the stronger they are yes but the, it, it's not that Israel is so independent the relationship with the United States is still very significant. Uh, look, the development of Iron Dome wouldn't have happened were not for the support from the United States. So many other developments that are so critical to Israel's uh, security. Now the United States and Israel are developing a new arrow 
4 missile, which will defeat uh, the hypersonic weapons. This is just announced, and it's a joint enterprise between the two countries. You know, again, not something that will make headlines because nobody cares when Israel and the United States do good things together. But this is a... uh, uh, will take down the whole, a lot of the new types of long-range missiles, and um, uh, including um, glide the vehicle weapons. Um, that's too technical, but it's, it just shows the significance of what what is happening. Trying to anticipate the threats, the future, and and addressing them. So the United States and Israel's cooperation is really significant to both countries, and there were joint maneuvers again between the two on maritime maneuvers, uh, which sends a strong message to the region. As long as they see the, the strength of the relationship, that is an enhancement of, of Israel's significance. Is, co- is, is cooperation with Putin also necessary or important? Essential. It is essential. Why? Why? Not because Russia is so important. Russia's economy is very limited. Russia's abilities are limited. But they can make trouble. Look at their role in Syria is very critical, whether Israel has the freedom of operation given the Russian control over the uh, same systems that they sold them, the anti-missile devices. Putin is very shrewd and very clever, and I've said this on the show many times, and he, um, you know, the, he, he, is, he looks for opportunities, whether it's in Libya, where they are very active, or in Syria, where they play a, a dominant role and, and emerges the victorious power keeping Assad in, in uh, office. Uh, and now they they challenge at times uh, Turkey and Iran in inside Syria, but uh, they play the critical role. We just see the the uh, confrontations that took place in Dara, where Russia, which is near the Syrian border with Israel, where Russia resolved the conflict between some of the the rebel groups. They had earlier worked out a ceasefire agreement, and now they impo- they came in and, and negotiated a new uh, arrangement which seems to be uh, holding, at least for now. So Russia's role in the region is, is important. If it's, if it's only as a troublemaker, they're important. But, you know, they, they look, they have a long-term vision and, and see their role in, in a bigger context. Uh, Erdogan certainly sees it and sees his drive for hegemony, as does Iran, one seeking a Persian Empire, one seeking uh, the Ottoman Empire's re- uh, resurrection. They have a, a long-term vision. You can't just react to every individual I- issue on a, a specific basis, which is the tendency in the West, but not having a, a broader and more aggressive uh, plan like these other countries do. Um, the the fact that passengers or, or uh, uh, people were, were saved on passenger flights from Kabul as recently as yesterday, g- gives you any hope that there that that all of them will eventually get out, or you look at this as just an exception? I, I don't know. Uh, look, the Taliban want to project a much more moderate image than they are. They said they want to renew relations with everyone except Israel. They um, uh, will cooperate because it's in their interest. Look what they got. They but they need tremendous economic assistance. I'm hoping. That that will not be forthcoming until there are real conditions set. Until this is really handled in an intelligent way, with a, with a longer vision about what you know what our interests are there and how we work with them. But they are you know they are in dire need. The country obviously is in complete ruins, and aside from having a, a lot of used car, used uh, military lots, 
of, of equipment. You can buy anything there now. Um, that the, the the there's no infrastructure. They have a lot of natural resources, which is something China, Russia, and others want to exploit. But um, they they need a lot of aid, which is not going to come from any other source. Malcolm, is there a comparison? I mean, is is um, is Turkey a comparison? Like, I'm trying to think of a government that's as corrupt and as deadly as the Taliban that the United States actually has some type of real political relationship with. Is is there a comparison? Uh, well, I think each country is different. And, uh, you know, Turkey is very radical in a sense, and they've arrested 100,000 people. They can destroy their military, their judicial, their newspapers, etc. But uh, they're not hanging people and going right. around just shooting uh, women and, and doing the things that the, the, the Taliban does. So forget comparison. Is there a precedent? Like in recent American history, have they had a political relationship and dialogue with a group like this that led a country? Well, a lot of people will say that the you know the communists did it, others did it to to their populations and to others. So, right. do we do with radical regimes? The answer is yes, and we have dealt with them. Uh, we have relations with Iran. We still are negotiating with Iran, right. which is doing terrible things domestically in within Iran, subjecting their people to women and others, denying rights, and at the same time being aggressive abroad. Right now, the Taliban is focused at least within Afghanistan, ultimately we know that they do strike out beyond the borders. Uh, you've always said that, I mean, not only do you endorse, but you uh, try to help as much as possible when uh, when groups take to the streets and demonstrate against governments like this. We've seen actual demonstrations in Afghanistan, which I think is really brave and courageous, uh, frankly. And then we uh, we saw in uh, in retaliation uh, or in reaction to it, journalists actually get beat up um, by uh, Taliban officials, are they going to be able to? And by they, I mean the 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 uh, uh, the people that would like to uh, you know see freedom and independence. Are they going to be able to continue these types of rallies and demonstrations, or it's very likely it's a short lived? If I had a bet, I would bet that it's short lived. As the uh, uh, Taliban tries to consolidate their control, I think it's really remarkable that people challenge them publicly, openly. We know people got shot just this week in these demonstrations and um, that it's uh, you know it's really a courageous move on the part of the people a move of frustration uh, and people really are in need they need of food they need of basics uh, and Taliban will will take harsh measures and I'm sure that they are we know that they are rounding up people we know that they are looking for anybody who was quote a collaborator with the US and others translators they they have unfortunately um, you know, a lot of the biometric machines which identify, can identify the people which were used to identify it, it for the use of, for security reasons, uh, by the U.S. and others in, in Afghanistan. Now they have that ability to, to, to and, and they have the lists of a lot of the people who were uh, known to have worked with the Americans over the last 20 years. That's it's it's horrific and it's they live in fear. But the fact that you had these demonstrations, I think, was was a remarkable act of courage. And the women who take to the streets, I mean, just unbelievable mm-hmm. that they're able to do it and that they have. Them. And then they whip them and they beat them publicly. You've seen the films uh, of of how they are how they are being treated. But uh, look, we see we see in other countries where Hezbollah has taken over, virtually taken over Lebanon, and and what they have done, um, what they have done there, and and the. The, how much the people have suffered, and you've seen demonstrations by 
people against and it was sometimes remarkable demonstrations by small groups, by villages, by mm. larger numbers against them. It's remarkable to me that there aren't more groups in the United States. And I'm not saying this tongue-in-cheek. I know a lot of people you know, are sarcastic when they say this. But I, I would think that more groups in the United States, especially based on modern history, uh, would be uh, taking to the streets and making a much, much bigger issue of this politically in Washington, etc., about the safety, especially for the women and children in Afghanistan. But it doesn't seem like it. It's just that even, even with the the crazy way the United States left and the way they abandoned people there, it just really hasn't inspired enough people to literally take to the streets and get passionate about it. I think that's true. People don't know where Afghanistan is. They don't understand right. its strategic importance. You know, it's, it is... Uh, almost like a cartoon place right. that people are not sure of the reality of it. But you know that Israel Aid and other groups are there trying to help people get out and to facilitate their exit. Yeah, and some of the U.S. veterans who have who have mm-hmm. uh, formed groups to get people out, just amazing. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSegal.com and the NachumSegal Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. What do you think of the national vaccine mandate from the President of the United States yesterday? Uh, I don't know enough about the science and everything behind it, but um, it's a, you know, the, 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 it will evoke more reaction, which always concerns me because radical groups take advantage of it and they use it, the whole COVID thing, to, to expand the anti-Semitic um, libels and uh, attributions here and in Europe and elsewhere. So uh, I'm always concerned for those manifestations. And uh, I hope people w- will be responsible and they should take the, the vaccine when they can, um, unless you know, they have medical or other reasons not to. Uh, and in Israel, as we see, not much change over the last week, right? We still They're starting school and the numbers are still... Unfortunately, one of the highest in the in the country in the but they're world. coming down. They have come down oh, over the last days, uh, and and they're working hard to contain it, uh, and control it. But this numbers still remain high. But they are opening up, uh, as you know, Ariantev for groups to come, and it looks like they will open up for more tourism after Yantif. in October. I'm not going to say because it never works out the way we think it does. It's changed every time over the last year, you know, week by week. So I don't know when it will be. But I know that, that the tourism industry needs it, that Israel wants to, to open up, wants to go back to normality. If the numbers hold, I think that we'll see more uh, openness. The quarantine rule they got to get rid of, especially if people have antibodies or are able to prove that, the, you know, they were vaccinated. I know that just... Uh, that that is 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 very unattractive to have to go to Israel and just wait seven days before being able to leave, you know, whatever home you're in. No, but under the new rules, they won't have to wait. If they show the the vaccination, they do a PCR test, and when they land, they take a test, which is true of many other countries too. Um, they will not have to be in uh, in quarantine. They just have to wait till they get the results, which can be you know one the first night they're there. That would be pretty amazing. Um, what do we know about the situation with the prisoner escape from Gilboa, which is in the northern part of Israel? Uh, I mean, it, the country's practically, you know, on high alert because it is now. Absolutely, it's a, it's a, an extremely dangerous situation because we know that two um, reportedly made it into Jordan, and four. Uh, to Janine, which is 10 miles away, and from which many of them came, 
there's a very intensive uh, manhunt going on already now, almost a week. Um, This was a high-security prison, and there were failures, uh, many failures that will have to be examined and, and explored about the both the construction of the building, which had this underground that was built on pillars so that there was this area underground where they could work and dig their way out uh, beyond the wall, and whoever was in charge was asleep uh, as they exited. It looks too concocted, uh, so people will obviously start making accusations that um, there was some deal or whatever, but right now the important thing is, is they'd be caught. Uh, these are all people with multiple life sentences, the people who had uh, who, who were guilty of the terrorist activities. Uh, five uh, are former Islamic Jihad terror and the sixth group, and the sixth is um, a former really notorious Fatah terror chief. And, um, and now you have demonstrations, first of all, within the prisons, and there have been a lot of prisoners moved from the north to the south, spreading them out. Um, one of the prisoners just the day before asked to be put in the same block with the same cell with the other five, <laughs> and he was given permission. Um, and uh, there were rioters in, in various places, in the Ramallah district and in other places, and even live fire had to be used against them uh, because these demonstrations got out of hand. And there was also at the Damascus Gate and other places demonstrations of solidarity. There are people who expressed fear that this will start another intifada, because remember the others started with some of the prisoners uh, as well. But I don't think that that is Israel's taking the steps to prevent that. But the manhunt is the important part in getting them before they carry out some sort of a terrorist attack. If the majority of the uh, of the towns to the east and to the north of the prison are Arab towns, I mean, Israeli security officials need a tremendous amount of cooperation, I would assume, from 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 Arab or Palestinian officers, right? I mean, or can they do this themselves? Well, they're doing it themselves, uh, although obviously the communities in that area need to be need to reject these people when if they come back. But the opposite has happened. We know that they were supplied with weapons and change of clothes. Everything was was arranged. They got into a mosque where they showered and and changed their clothes, and um, uh, in Janine, and they. Uh, are still all on the loose. Now, some are believed to be um, um, in, in uh, still in Janine, uh, but there were arrests of two of the brothers of uh, Mahmoud Arda, who was considered the mastermind of the escape, and several other uh, family members of um, uh, some of the people were of the, of the escapees were taken into custody. Mm, interesting. Um, why has this Israeli government lasted? <laughs> what is it still the anti-Netanyahu uh, glue that's keeping this thing together, or were we past that already? No, it's the fear of an election is still a very strong motivation. I think that they are walking on eggshells not to take up issues that would divide or break up the uh, coalition. I think they, you know, they still only passed the first vote of the budget. They need two more votes. And uh, they did pass by a big margin, so they're feeling somewhat more confident. And as you see, they're traveling around the world. The Prime Minister Lapid was in. Yeah. Um, I mean, where are all the, where are all the threats of votes of no confidence that we're used to? 
uh, well, till they really feel that they have a majority that's not going to. Right now, they've been able to withstand the uh, those threats. Uh, whether it will last, nobody knows right now. The, you know, it's a it's a fractious group, and you have to see when the first issue. One of the issues is, for instance, the the consulate moving the cons- U.S. consulate in Jerusalem uh, would be a, an issue that could be very divisive within the government, and I'm sure they. You know, appeal to the United States not to to move that. That would be uh, it. Would be very destabilized for the the government itself um, were that to happen. Um, I mean, there are other issues when you really come down to the test that we'll we'll have to see what happens. But um, right now, they've been able to to keep it together. I would assume this whole prisoner escape situation is going to end up, if God forbid, it's. Uh drags on could also end up being uh uh you know laid at the feet of the prime minister well yeah yeah although this is a situation obviously that's been in existence for some time and but yes it could be not at the prime minister but certainly at the government and right. i'm sure that some heads will have to roll about the fact that people literally were asleep at the switch and didn't uh, catch what um what was what was taking place yeah um, well, tomorrow, of course, is 9-11 on the Jewish calendar. We observe the art site back on the 23rd of uh, Elul. Um, uh, I, I'm not sure what your thoughts are 20 years later, although I, I'm certainly uh, interested and I'd like you to address that. But I, I, I'm going to first start with what do, you, what, what do you think when Jewish organizations or Jewish leadership that had issues with the mosque being built near the 9-11 site 20 years ago, um, uh, make public statements regretting it 20 years later. Has has so much changed or has so many different things uh, um, happened over the last 20 years that now uh, it, it would be legitimate to regret? Because I think that the circumstances that created that environment and that atmosphere 20 years ago uh, made it a legitimate point of view to keep the mosque out of that area. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's a different leadership of that organization that, than that took the position earlier. And uh, I don't know what motivated that particular statement, but I think um, uh, overall, I don't know how much we have learned from the, le- the lessons of the events of 20 years ago. Are we really more on the alert? Are we not still vulnerable to the threats of terrorist entities like the Taliban, but more importantly, the Iranian network. Look at our inability to really forge a, a truly united front against Iran, even though they're doing now, you know, more aggressive things and behavior. And the report that came out of the IEA this week, uh, and this is state-sponsored, this is blatant, it's obvious. We know that they're doing it. We know that there are threats uh, to the United States and people still entering our country who are uh, on terrorist missions and uh, certainly sympathetic to, to the terrorist entities, both from our southern borders and, and otherwise getting into the United States. So that uh, the question that you pose is really an important one. What have we learned? Obviously, people today believe that it can happen. They didn't believe it perhaps 20 years ago, and I can tell you from reactions to when I would be warning about it was incredulous, you know, and uh, today people understand that these things can happen. I think people's sensitivity, certainly in the Jewish community, to the growth of the radical movements and extremist movements, the anti-Semitism, is um, 
a reflection of the seriousness with which we recognize now that a lot of these threats are will, will can be carried out will be carried out if we don't take a really strong stand and stand up against them it's not that you can eradicate them it's that you can contain them you can lock them push them back under the rocks whether they're the terrorists or the anti-semites um, but I think the commemoration is important um, this 20th anniversary because we see that uh, that the world still is is creating these extremist groups and now with the with the aid of the the internet and with the other technological assistance and with the blind eye being turned to them by often by the internet operators or those who have the social media that the threat uh, continues and we we have to be alert to it and stand up to it and to um take advantage even even smaller things like the Ben and Jerry's issue which i know people uh, you know don't take seriously um thank god the Arizona state government did and you know that they are um talking about uh, selling the 143 million dollars in Unilever bonds, Unilever being the parent uh-huh. company of Men and Jerry's, um, that they understand the significance, and because they have the anti-boycott laws, and, you know, anti-BDS laws, as those 30 other states, I cite it only because people take that and dismiss it. Yet, in fact, if allowed to go unchecked, it becomes then. Others will replicate it. Others will, will take advantage of it. And we have to show them that we're going to have to do what the King of Morocco did, and that is to, to deliver a crushing blow to them politically and to do it intelligently. You can win the people. Has Unilever responded to that? Unilever did not respond to the Arizona um, decision of the Arizona State Treasurer, uh, Kimberly E. yet, um, but she's already selling it, and uh, the... the um, yeah, obviously the you know that they realize that this is not just one uh, yeah. this one state is just the beginning because many other states have the same laws or similar laws. Not all have governments. It depends on the state government's willingness to take the measures and why. Again, having people express themselves in New York and others should be doing the same thing. Yeah, no that's question. real leverage, and that really does make a difference when when uh, they see it and when they, you know, we stand up to it. The fact that now 16 state countries said they're boycotting the, the um, Durban conference, that we undermine the significance of it, that we can, you know, discredit it, and hopefully many other countries will, will join that as well. Very important, and, and it's true on the local level and getting people to, to stand up against, you know, the, the Democratic Socialists in New York winning so many seats with this anti-Israel agenda and anti, even anti-Semitic agenda, some say, that the, the, um, the imperative is on each of us to, to act within the context and the, and the influence that we have. And we have, but we have to be ready to, to act on it. No question about it. I take this opportunity to wish you a Gemar Simatova, an easy fast. We will speak, please God, the day after you, Kipper. And uh, look, Malcolm, uh, thousands and thousands of um, of uh, community representatives will be appealing on behalf of all of us uh, to God this coming Wednesday night and Thursday uh, for a great year ahead and uh, one of real peace and prosperity for the people of Israel. Let's hope those prayers come true. And for the Jewish communities around the world that need it, including in America, that we face off against our Sonenu and Ovenu, and look up the difference between the two, and the uh, importance for us, you know, we don't pray for ourselves, we pray in the plural for everyone, and for all 
all Jews and even for, for non-Jews. You know, Rabbi Soloveitchik once said that if the non-Jews knew how much we pray for them now and over Sukkot in particular, he said they would buy the machzorim for us. <laughs> and, <laughs> Always an angle. <laughs> <laughs> Who so can we get the sponsor the machzorim? <laughs> but, but it's but, a good, it's an important point you're making, though. Very important point. Yeah, so that's why we, we pray for ourselves, but we realize that no individual survives alone, and that we have, we're part of a community, we're part of, uh, of a world which is in need of a lot of tefillot. Yeah, 100%. As uh, we said yesterday with our conversation with Yishai Fleischer, who uh, davened Rosh Hashanah on Harabayit, Everybody around the world will be invited. We'll be we'll be the sovereign uh, the sovereign supervisors, uh, please God. But ever, the entire world will be invited uh, to come and pray to the One Above. Uh, thank you, Malcolm, and nice Shabbos Shuva, and we'll speak Bezrat Hashem next week. Thank you very much, Malcolm. Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. With us Friday's weekly update here at JM in the AM. And just looking at the schedule, we will uh, have a weekly update next week. Please God, day after Yom Kippur. And then we will, um, I guess, reconvene on the 1st of October, right? I would guess. Here at the JM in the AM.